Episode 18 of Conversations with Saruti. This is being recorded after the first game of the Arizona Diamondbacks series at home at the end of June. Despite the win last night and having won two of their last three games, that can only be said for the first time since June 17th, and Cardinals Nation is getting very concerned about recent play, recent rash of injuries to the club, and recent uh, comments to the media by Tommy Edmond and others in the organization just in case you hadn't heard or noticed. Most podcasts, talk shows, and articles that I've seen recently have all been about who the Cardinals need to go after and go get in the trade market. I hear players like Starling Marte, Cattell Marte, Max Scherzer, Kyle Gibson, uh, Jose Berrios, and and many, many others. Um, But while others are zigging, today on Conversations with Saruti, we're going to zag. We are going to have a roundtable in which we are going to discuss what seems like a foreign concept to the Cardinals fans and ownership because it's something that they rarely do, if ever. Today's topic of conversation is going to be, what if they become sellers? We are going to discuss a trade that has already been made in Major League Baseball between the Marlins and Blue Jays. We're going to talk trades of Cardinals past, what players on today's roster might fit that type of billing, and finally, a potential few deals that might shake things up, if nothing else. This is the second Conversations with Saruti Roundtable, and to this, I welcome back first, uh, Corey Sanzone. Corey, how are you doing today? Good. It's a pleasure to be here as always. I have to be the optimist on the show today. <laughs> and I think I'm going to try to test that on you today. I, we kind of mentioned prior to the uh, showing, <laughs> or prior to the airing here. Good luck with um, that. <laughs> <laughs> the second person I'd like to welcome in is somebody I've wanted to have on for quite a while, Um Tara Notwellman, Tara Nichols of Birds on the Black. She's found on the Chirps podcast and the Gateway to Baseball Heaven podcast with Daniel Shopta. Um, I've gotten a sub in for Tara at Chirps, but never with Tara, as I've always been with Alex Crisofoli over there. Um, Tara, how are you today? And congrats on getting married. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me and for your kind words there. It's nice to be able to have this conversation with you actually on a podcast instead of sort of after the fact discussing your podcast or ours behind the scenes. So happy to be here. And lastly, uh, joining us today for the first time as well is uh, Alan Medlock. Medlock is on the Meet Me at Musial podcast with Daniel Shoptaw. Um, I've gotten to join there a couple times, but have not had the pleasure of having him on to reciprocate. So I'm glad to get to do that today. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I uh, 
like to talk to. Uh, I'm glad that we get to get on, be on your format this time instead of ours, and we could uh, bend a few new ears. Awesome. Well, let's jump right in. Today, the Marlins and Blue Jays kind of kicked off trade season. I know the Brewers um, made a deal a while back to shore something up, but uh, that wasn't really the beginning of trade season, I don't think. Uh, it being about a month away, I think this one might start kicking things off. Not that it was huge, but uh, the Marlins today traded Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber. Uh, Dickerson's an outfielder, left-handed hitting outfielder, veteran. Uh, Simber is having a good year out of the bullpen. Uh, statistically reminds me of maybe a Brad Thompson or Joe Kelly before, before he found his strikeout pitch. Um, and then... In return, they are getting infielder Joe Panic from the Blue Jays and a prospect to be named later. Um, I feel like this is a great place to start off today's topic of conversation because of the implications of what this could mean for the Cardinals. I feel like the Cardinals, there are four pieces in this trade, and the Cardinals could have things that match up well no matter what perspective you take on it, I guess. Um Cardinals have relief pitching. They've got uh, plenty of guys who are pitching well and plenty of guys who are not pitching well out of the bullpen. Simber is pitching well, but his peripherals wouldn't suggest he continues to do that necessarily in the future. Um, So I think we could find a comp there. Uh, Corey Dickerson is a left-handed hitting outfielder who has a bit of pop in his bat. He is a little older, making a bit of money, and is currently on the injured list, and they are unsure when he will return. Joe Panic is an infielder that is kind of past his prime. He's had a rough couple of years. Uh, he's making a little bit of money and uh, just maybe needs a change of scenery. I think the Cardinals have a few players who fit that billing. And then, obviously, the pro- the prospects, everybody's got prospects. So, uh, Alan, I was going to come to you first on this one because you were the one that DM'd me this morning saying, ooh, we have to talk about this today, too, now. So, Alan, what, what were your thoughts immediately when you heard about that? Well, it wasn't necessarily the trade in, in particular. It was the fact that a trade was made, you know, the last week of June and that these that it shows that, that big league players can be moved at this. Life comes at you quick when you consider that. But we talk about panic being over the hill. You know, as far you know, his star was pretty bright in San Francisco. Now, of course, that was fourteen fifteen, but they were one of the best teams in baseball as well. The Dickerson deal, it it's funny, he's hurt, no real clear cut timeline when he's gonna come back. But I thought it aligned well with today because that although he didn't he didn't Dickerson didn't hit well last year and Hasn't been much better this year. You kind of can throw 20 out the window period to me. I, I mean, that's just kind of how I feel about that because it was so compressed and you just you never got out any ruts. But that's one of those bats that it could add certainty to a Cardinals outfield that that needs it. I mean, that's what they need. I mean, they've got to, the, the growth factor with some of these guys has turned into, okay, now you just got to get somebody that can hit in, in some certain numbers. So I thought his name being out there today was, was interesting. Um, it's, I, I just like to see some sort of big league movement. We'll probably see a lot of big league movement from, uh, some, from Florida the rest of the way, but it was exciting to see something today that kind of aligned with what we were going to talk about. Yeah, I, I thought that was really nice to see, too. Uh, Dickerson's a guy I had uh, last offseason. I actually stumped for getting him. Um, I was offering up a trade of Carlos Martinez for Dickerson, 
And I know that sounds almost laughable now from either standpoint. Uh, Marlon's probably going, sure, we'll trade you this injured guy for this guy that might help us. And the Cardinals view going, uh, yeah, Carlos is not getting closer to form. If anything, he's getting further from form. (laughs) And sure, we'll take a flyer on Dickerson, even though he's hurt. So maybe it still does match up as a decent offer. Um, Moot point I will now. say Dickerson did not hit. Oh, go ahead, Corey. I was saying that's a moot point at this point, though. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, now, Dickerson is a guy who, despite not hitting well last year overall, um, he's a lefty that does hit pretty well against right-handed pitching. And he um, he did have a league average OPS plus against right-handers. He was... 28 points below league average OPS plus against lefties though. Um, And so he might be that guy. That's kind of that. I mean, he, at the time he might've been the guy that would have been like that perfect platoon type um, for getting either Carlson who doesn't hit right-handed pitching terribly well, or Bader who really doesn't hit right-handed pitching well at all days off um, during the course of the year. Um, But like Corey said, kind of a moot point at this juncture. Um, but I do like how this kind of slides into what we are going to be discussing. Um, just trying to make comps of today's Cardinals with trades of past. Uh, Tara, as my dog goes nuts, will you, uh, will you uh, chime in here? Yeah, I do think it's an interesting conversation to have, particularly in light of where the Cardinals have been the last couple of weeks because look we've all been on various podcasts or writing on our own platforms or hearing from other people talking about you know how do we fix this how do the cardinals fix what's going on and i think in some variation or another we've all said well there's not one move that fixes it so it is interesting even if it's a really only a thought experiment to consider what it would look like if they were to kind of take a step back from trying to fix it in terms of this year and fix it moving forward which may in fact include moving some of those major league pieces um but one thing that i think is interesting and we'll talk about this in some of your list of of players traded in the recent past is that the Cardinals were able to move a lot of those major league pieces that they did because they traded from a place of excess, right? They traded from a place of really redundancy. When you look at what those pieces were on the roster, whether it was outfielders or pitching in order to try to, a phrase they used a lot was clear the clutter, right? And make room on the major league roster for the pieces that were best going to be, um, you know, used at the major league level. So when you start looking at the handful of outfielders that have been traded, while it's easy to point to them and go, oh, well, they're playing much better now than they ever did in St. Louis. It's also easy to look at it and say, okay, but there were five guys that could have played that same role in St. Louis. So you have to move some of them. I'm not sure, just as sort of a, a preface for this conversation about the 2021 Cardinals, And I'm curious to know what the rest of you think. I'm not sure the Cardinals have that same redundancy in the organization now that they have had in past years. So being able to move some of those pieces in the same way or in a better, more effective way, 
may not be as easy as we kind of have become used to thinking it is because they've been able to just go, oh, well, here's some here's some spare parts, not in their talent, but in terms of there's not enough places for them to play on a major league roster. I, I completely yeah, agree. That's with a really good point. We're going with this. Like, honestly, I, my thought process, and I always hear like, well, like, let's go out and get this guy. Let's go out and get this guy. It's like, first off, we're in a horrible buyer's position because everybody knows <laughs> – True. <laughs> How bad we need stuff. And we don't really have that chip to sell at this point either. Like you said before, like it was like, we have all this excess of pitching. We have all this excess of outfielders. We have this excess, XX, you know, so on and so forth. Where is it now? When we're scrounging at grasping at straws to find any pitching or anybody that's productive in the outfield consistently. And what team is like, oh, you want Max Scherzer? anybody you got like and and without giving up some like we don't have that we have like two maybe of those chips and the cardinals aren't trading those guys so we're in a spot where i mean like you said one move doesn't fix it but also we don't have the pieces to move regardless so we're in a catch 22 yeah you know that's that's the frustrating it's it's easy to be frustrated and want something to happen immediately when it's a run like this that honestly we haven't seen in quite a few years of just just bad ball you know and can't get put a winning streak together and stuff like that but you could see it coming just how the roster was made up and the fact that there's a gap between the big league level and what they have coming you know you have your elites and then you have a few years after that behind that so any moves like that are going to be difficult and honestly why i kind of like jumping on here is I, I want to see them do, do make a move that rolls the dice. They're so risk adverse. They won't they won't do that. And it's kind of burn them by some of the, the outfielders that they have sent out. I want to see one that kind of hurts a little bit that they're really 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 willing to roll the dice on to improve. I I'm not, I'm not convinced they could do it, but I think that yeah, you know, we can make a good point on why they probably should today. So give us an example of uh, not necessarily who'd we be getting back, but what type of deal are you thinking? Are you thinking more of, uh, I think you mentioned this one on the Meet Me at Musial pod this week, but the Alan Craig and Joe Kelly for John Mackey type deal? Well, that's one of those situations to where that was the last one they've done that was a, hey, we're going to shake things up on here because things are stale. Well, the, the 2021 team is stale as can be. And that's what they, they need something that's going to shake the room. Uh, that was one of those of, hey, Craig has not performed as well as he has. He's an expiring contract. We have an excess of Kelly. You're going to play Oscar Tavares one way or the other, whether we have to ship these guys out. And then we get the sweet deal of bringing in Lackey for free, essentially, for a year. You know, and he was their best pitcher the following year after that trade. You probably won't get as lucky in that, but there may be some faces that are in the clubhouse right now that probably need to head out, not – because we don't like them, but something needs to change because this is not just a pattern of the past of June of 2021. We've seen this pattern for three years now. And I feel like there's a wall and a barrier blocking some of these guys at some point. And I know that that opens up a whole other avenue of of criticism, but, but I feel like that that something needs to be broken free and to show that they're going to go for this or not go for this. I don't think that you're ever going to see a full Cardinal cell rebuild. That's just not who they are. I mean, it's, it's, there's a ton of reasons for that, 
But I do feel like there's some shakeups that could happen, and maybe you may you may lose one of these trades. But you got to do something to kind of get things to kind of degrease the machine a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that any full rebuilds happening under a Dewitt ownership. At no, least. I, I um, completely agree. With that. Not to mention, there's um, no world in which they just sent out the amount of prospects they did over for Goldie and Arenado, and then suddenly they're yeah. like, "Let's move these other guys to dismantle." You're going to see Arenado exactly. walk and Goldie just be like, "I left on an island on its own." That's never gonna exactly. Happen. Yeah, no, completely agree, and that's that's led to some of the problem that they're in now because they have none of those mid level. You know, you're looking at you know Libertor Thompson Gorman to Walker in that group. Well, in between, you don't have anything more than your modern production oh, players, no, which they have plenty of those nice right now. We're in a little gap here of at least a yeah. year or two of really very little help coming up. Exactly. And that's the thing that frustrates me the most about the, uh, we're not going to set, we're not going to blow up the future. Well, what is the future? Three years? Goldschmidt's going to be 35 or gone. You know, so that that's kind of my issue with some of the, the, the stagnant movement right now. Now I understand that there's so many things behind the scenes that we just don't know. And there may, there's not a whole heck of a lot of moves being made period. And the, there's the lingering crowd that there may not be baseball next year, you know, and I know all those things factor into it. It's just, it's an odd time because you just kind of feel like your hands are tied. Oh, we're between a rock and a hard place. There's no, there's yeah. no doubt about I wanna, it. I want to throw this out there. Um, just because I'm curious what other opinions are about this. I have thought often in the last couple of years that there's sort of this organizational philosophy that may be a little out of date in terms of how to build a competitive team in the world of baseball right now. So the Cardinals went out and got Goldschmidt, brought in Arnado. They feel like, hey, we made our big moves, brought in our superstars. Say what you will about aging superstars or whatever that was their big play, right? To bring in these two guys to set the stage for whatever else might fall in place around it. I'm wondering if there's a disconnect between that attempt to kind of do the new school thing of bringing in the superstars and the older John Mosellac ways of homegrown talent that doesn't actually work, but he's trying to force it to work so that they don't have to, at some point, totally dismantle a team and then build back up from nothing. Because that's that's what we see these successful teams doing, unless you have, you know, the money like LA or New York to just buy it all whenever you feel like it. But is there is it fair to say that there seems to be a disconnect between the idea behind Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado and the reality of not sort of backfilling that with enough talent to make the team competitive around them. Well, I mean, I think there's a bit of both, but also I don't, I don't think any one of us, the four of us, when we went into this beginning of the season, would think we were in the spot we're supposed to be. the The stars, yeah. the middle range guys, everybody, pretty much across the board, not named what Adam Wainwright is underperformed. <laughs> I, right. It, it's been yeah, it's been yeah. disappointing from top to bottom. So sure, it, it's hard to say. Like I would say, there is a little bit of a disconnect, and like, but there's also that gap in talent right now. We traded off guys that have blossomed elsewhere. Now, granted, I take all of that with caveats and grains of salt because yeah. one year or three months does not make a career. But at the same time, some of those guys, my God, could we use them right now? And we just in <laughs> those cases that like. Yeah. You know, this doesn't that, that didn't work out. We got burnt by that one. But at the same time, people they're like, "Oh my God, we we lost." You know, a Rosarena. Well, Libertor might be the guy that we need in this sense, and exactly at this point. So, 
take it kind of everything has to play out a lot longer before it's this isn't or this that this worked or this didn't. But I do understand and under and agree with you, Tara, that we're conflicting mentalities right now. Yeah. Which I think the reason I brought that up is because I think that makes it almost impossible in a situation like this to decide trade or not trade, sell or buy, because you're kind of caught in between with these two approaches that don't really seem to have a connection point. And it it's a little bit crippling from the outside looking in to know, okay, do we do we trade off some of the few remaining pieces that we have to make this team competitive and hope that it works out in the future? Or do we hold on to things, maybe bring in a few, you know, Corey Dickerson types and see if something magical happens? I, I just think there's not necessarily, again, from the outside looking in, I don't know what those conversations in the office really are, but from the outside looking in, there's this, this, this push and pull between trying to be a competitive team and trying to do it all with homegrown talent and trying to, you know, I, it just, it feels like there's not a clear path to whatever it is that they deem success to be. And that makes this conversation so complicated because yeah, they could sell and bring in some pieces for the future but how far into the future are we talking about um you know like alan was saying you've got these superstars now how far are you hoping they go to make not selling the farm for the future worth it i wonder if we're seeing a shift in philosophies at the moment um the cardinals payroll next year is about before arbitration it's about half of what it is now um, now, granted, they do have, I want to say, 10 players reaching arbitration, but... But not too many of them do those, significant, significant raises either. Yeah. Right. Assuming those 10 don't make $80 million, um, probably closer to 20 or $30 million, the Cardinals are going to have a bit of money to play with in free agency for the first time in what seems like forever. Um, I'm wondering if they're looking at next year's crop, which I know was discussed last off season, even as, you know, something to go after because there's so many good players entering the market. I wonder if they're looking at it going, well, CBA is coming up. Let's get the best guys we can under contract now, longer term, like your Arenados, your Goldschmidt's, make sure you have them good to go after whenever the CBA is done whether that's for 2022 or 2023, God forbid. Um, and we still have all this money to play with. Um, I'm wondering if, if a change in philosophy is coming. Um, I mean, Bill DeWitt third, not getting any younger. I don't know if he's wanting to go for one last thing or not. It doesn't seem like it. But, um, yeah, I just – it seems like there's been a lot – an awful lot of – recognition that what they're doing isn't working at least outwardly to the public that hasn't been there in the past in the last six months or so plus you add on to it and i I, that's an interesting uh dynamic is we're we're just talked about being these these next crop of actually impact potentially impactful prospects are two years away ish well you have a gap here but we have a lot of money we can spend next year so 
you might be, you know, we're starting to see maybe you have like a little bit more of a plan there that, okay, we just finished this year's kind of tough. And you know, I'm, I'm not discounting this year yet. You and I have talked about it, Ben, but this team yeah. has run potential. Like they have without a doubt. good. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But you could easily see them filling in a few more big money pieces next year. And then the following and being very good. And then the following year you start to see these, really good players that are in double a right now creeping into the majors. And then, that, then you start to see that complete picture come together right now. I think we're painting, you know, the outlines and not seeing what the whole picture mm. is going to look like. Well, and I completely agree with you on that is the fact that you very rarely see a team with, with potential that they have all bottom out at the same time. Like, it's one of those situations where I keep thinking that one series win is going to ignite them. But, I, but because- I feel like we've seen this the last three years at some point where we're like, this team is way too talented to be playing this poorly. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's – that. yeah, exactly. I'm kind of saying that as well, that we, we've we never seen it with, with Arenado, though. And that's it's true. one of those situations where I think we have seen it with a good majority of the roster, and that's why I think there needs to be a shakeup of some sort. You know, not a not a sell the house or or one of those situations, but but there is a barrier. Like like I was telling Ben when he asked me to come on, I'm a huge De Young fan, and I know that's not popular right no, I'm now. I'm still with you, but I just I just don't understand how you go from 30 homers, 30 doubles, and that potential to do it forever to nothing. There's a barrier somewhere. You know what is it? What is it? What are we? What are we missing on this? Is he has he been figured out? Because he hit like this in the minors as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those. I would not saying I'm a proponent of trading him because I think he could be well. The, the way that I look at this, and not to ramble, if if his name wasn't Paul DeYoung, and we saw a guy with his potential with the, the his ability to play shortstop, we'd be like, hey, that would be a good risk to take to sign to play shortstop. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and it's one of those. It's it's. I just would kind of wonder what the disconnect is on on players like that, and if that may be some of the shakeup that's necessary. So you're thinking maybe a coaching standpoint as much as it is. Well, and that, that's the path I didn't. I, you know what? I mean, it's one of those where we're going to light a match regardless of how we do it on this. I just do think it's funny that I mean he just bottomed out. I mean he hit like this. He hit like this through Springfield, through Memphis, and in St. Louis. And I mean, the past two years now. I mean, like like I said, you can throw out twenty, but something is is obviously wrong. You know, it, maybe it's a, a wrist injury. We don't know, but it, he's just not where he needs to be. And I think that they would be so much better if he got to those ranks. Like I've always said, if the Cardinals role players are playing well, you're in a really good situation. Well, that's the other thing with the young is. I mean, I've, I've said this before off of this and talked to Ben about it before. Is he's that guy that has the potential. That he he's that missing piece. If he plays like he yeah. can, he's that guy that's after Arenado and Goldschmidt. That you're like, hey, he may not he's not going to hit 270, but the 30 bomb potentials there, the excellent shortstops yeah. there, I mean, and 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 he's that guy that I'm like, I've seen a bunch of people be like, oh, he needs to go, he needs to go. I'm like, we would rue the day. He goes somewhere yeah. else, figures it back out, and then we're like, well, we just traded away a 30 home run guy. Who plays yeah. gold glove level, nearly gold yeah, glove level. going to be in that top three, top four every year is a right. shortstop. So I think the question, Ben, I promise I will, you know, <laughs> try to steer this no, ship back this, to take you. Take this where you will uh, because for, this is all great info. But I, I think maybe the question that 
is haunting the Cardinals and all of us trying to, <laughs> I don't know, discuss it in some sort of intelligent way or, you know, just for fun, whatever, um, is we, we keep talking about potential. We talk about the, the players on this team and the potential that they have. We can talk specifically about Paul DeYoung. I've talked in numerous places about Carlos Martinez and the potential that he has. We've talked about the depth of the Cardinals pitching as potential. There's got to be some unlocking of that potential along the way, or you're operating with a process and a plan that's never, that's, that's not really rooted in reality. It's rooted in possibility. So where along the line do you switch that flip from possibility and potential to reality and what's happening now and then maybe that's where this conversation comes in because that's the line we're trying to find right what's the line between holding on and holding out hope that that potential gets unlocked and deciding okay maybe it will maybe it won't but we can't wait around any longer let's do something else so let's use that as a jumping point We've kind of discussed the lingering strategies of the past for the St. Louis Cardinals and John Mozeliak combined with uh, potential future leanings, and we're unsure of which way they're going because we're not sure that they're sure which way they're going with the looming CBA. Um, In the past, the Cardinals in the last few years have made three plays for what I would call like superstar potential impact. Uh, they've gone out and last off season gave Austin Gomber, Eli Montero, um, Tony Losi and, Mon- and Mateo Gill for Nolan Arenado. Uh, three off seasons ago. Now they sent Carson Kelly, Luke Weaver, Andy Young, and a comp pick to Arizona for Goldschmidt. Four years ago now, they sent uh, Zach Gallen, Sandy Alcantara, Daniel Castano, and Mag Sierra to the fish for Marcelo Zuna. Do we think there is a trade out there that the Cardinals would make to gain another quote-unquote superstar type guy? Could they go get a Max Scherzer or a Starling Marte right now, and would it be enough? And this could be simple answers, I'm guessing, on this one. No. (laughs) (laughs) I think, could they? Probably. Will they? No. And the answer to the last question, would it be enough, I think would still be no, because I truly believe there's a there's a process problem somewhere in the in the mix here, whether it's on the hitting side or the pitching side. And one addition, even of superstar caliber probably isn't honestly they need, superstar no, doesn't do the they, need, they need multiple yes. like they need the per, the middle players like they need the the role players to do the role no. job they have the superstars all right all right so let's let's talk more about role then um in the past we have seen some trades that i lumped in as major league for major league talent um, we have seen them give up Grichuk, uh, Randall Grichuk, for Dominic Leone and a minor leaguer. Uh, we've seen them give up Tommy Pham for 
And this one might be more of a majors for minors because Henesis Cabrera was on the cusp at the time. Justin Williams had played in one major league game and Roel Ramirez. Uh, we have seen them give up Luke Voigt, who didn't have a home here, uh, for Chasen Shreve, who was in the majors, and Giovanni Gallegos, who was on the cusp. We have seen them give up uh, Jaime Garcia for John Gant and others. Marco Gonzalez for Tyler O'Neill, who that should have gone in the prospect at the time. Uh, John Jay for Jeff for Jed Jerko and Cash. And then I wasn't sure whether to put this one in majors for majors or superstar, but they went out and got Jason Hayward for Shelby Miller. Uh, they, they got Jason Hayward and Jordan Walden for Shelby Miller and another prospect, Terrell Jenkins. Um, out of those trades, I really think like the Grichik fam Voigt deals are probably more what we'd be looking at, but I think it would be like, the Grichik and Voigt deals would be selling low on like a DeYoung or a Bader, something like that. Whereas the FAM deal, I don't think Edmund is disgruntled as a Cardinal like FAM was. But with his comments, I could see uh, him getting sent out potentially because of that. Um, what do you guys think about those type deals we're looking at then? You, you could probably sell this as a... If you were to if you were to honestly look at trading Edmund, you could go after the team that loses out on Adam Frazier and probably get some interest. And but I that would that would be the type of move that you would need to make. I mean, it was I feel like you have to supplement the uh, the big league roster with the role players like we were talking about if you're going to replace one out. Um, the the fam deal felt like a sell to me, but. I don't know if I wouldn't have made that again for Cabrera's potential. I know – let me put it to you this way. Tara made a great point on this. Bernie Williams is going to – you know, he was on Hall of Fame ballot with no potential, and Gerald Williams was DFA'd with a lot of it. You know, one of those type situations. So I know exactly where you're coming from. And not to get too far off on that, but but yeah, that's that's kind of how I would feel that you could probably find a market for Edmund after the Frazier deal gets made. I think there would certainly be a market for Edmund. I think if you're trading Edmund because he said the coaching is bad, uh, yeah, <laughs> then you I have didn't, your issues. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely understand, and that's not why I, I picked Edmund. I just sure, I no, feel like I, in Edmund Bader, DeYoung, you know, those are some of the names that are your moderate production guys that you're going to have to look at moving to to improve. So that's kind of well, why I said that. Well, out of those three, I honestly think Edmund may be the guy that you get the most immediate return mm -hmm. for and maybe i'm wrong because you know we just talked about the potential of paul de young i don't think bader has a lot going for him right now in in terms of significant major league trade value because we haven't really seen him this season yeah. and the last time we saw him he was struggling um de young has struggled the last couple of years i think edmund is the one out of those three guys that you could call somebody up and say hey look this guy is going to make you better and you know we don't know how much better because he's still pretty early on in his career as a major leaguer as it is but he's going to make you better let's find a way to make us better he also has value but my point is yeah he has value so out of those three that's the best you know if you want to talk trade chips that seems to be the best one for right now um but my my comment in response was simply not necessarily to you, Alan, but just in general, no, I get it. I they're get trading it. him yeah. because he called out sort of very subtly. And because he was asked directly uh, some of the preparation that's happening that has now turned into this whole other side <laughs> story, which I think is fascinating yeah. by the way, but that's not no, the reason you trade. Yeah, no, no, no. And I wanted, I want, 
Yeah, exactly. I wanted to delineate the fact that I do think that was part of Fam's movement and not what I think Edmund's movement would would be right, right. A, a cause. I mean, Fam, Fam was kind of showing yes. guys up on the field. Like that was gonna get that was gonna yeah. get shipped out yes. no matter what. Like, sure. Tommy Fam wanted the Cardinals to be a different personality than the Cardinals were ever going to be. And I think, you know, comments or not, I think there was going to be a disconnect between how Tommy Pham wanted to play baseball and how he expected the people around him to play baseball and what the Cardinals as an organization were trying to accomplish. So while I still think, I don't know that I love that reasoning for sending off a guy that could have been a significant benefit on the offensive side. Yes, they did get Cabrera out of it. Uh, but it is a bit different than oh, the, the sure. Tommy Edmonds situation. Yeah, I mean, Fam was a – I think he's the last Cardinal to be a 3-4-5 guy, right? 300, 400, yeah, 500, so, tri- yeah. triple slash line. Um, okay, so let's talk about a Tommy Edmonds trade. Um, I talked to Matt Germain uh, on Twitter. Uh, he is a guy that, that follows the Rays very closely. Um, he – I feel like he knows – a lot about their farm system, a lot about their current club. Um, so I talked to him yesterday about potentially working out a deal. And while he he fell short of saying that this deal is something that he would do if he was the Rays GM, he did say that this is something that um, the Rays would probably have to at least consider. Um, when I asked him what the Rays need the most, he said, we need somebody who can just flat out mash left-handed pitching. And Tommy Edmond can hit left-handed pitching. If there's something Tommy Edmond can do, it is, as a right-handed bat, crush it. And he could fill in lots of places for the Rays. He can play, as we've seen in St. Louis, he can play three infield spots and three outfield spots. And so he could crush lefties anywhere in the order, basically. Um, The Tampa Bay Rays have a 23-year-old outfielder in AAA named... Josh Lowe. He's a center fielder and third baseman, it says. He bats left-handed, throws right. The Cardinals need a left-handed outfielder that can hit against right-handed pitching. Um, he is currently hitting 296 with a 360 on base and a 560 slug in AAA um, in Durham. Uh, and then they have a AAA pitcher named Joe Ryan, who's 25, who is starting – He's got seven starts, eight games pitched, about five innings a start. Uh, He's got a whip under 0.9. He has some control. He's only got eight walks and two hit by pitch in those 35 and two-thirds innings, which is something that the Cardinals everywhere in their organization have struggled with. And he struck out 45 in those 35 and two-thirds innings. Um, I think Joe Ryan was the real sticking point here for Matt, but – I don't know what else the Cardinals would have to add to this deal to do it, but do you think that would be a shakeup that would be worth it? I'm in for any pitcher that can throw strikes at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah not, not walking in runs would be a really welcome turn of events at this point. And that, that would fit into the sale category, correct? I mean, if you're going to get – yeah. If you're looking for the the true minor league, are are we that may be a time for a different show. Are we willing do, Are you not expecting any big league movement back for any trade that they get right now? I don't know if I'm willing to give up right in that situation because I think they I think they can make a run. Well, 
These guys are both guys that are at AAA. They are guys who are at AAA for the first time this year, and so not a lot of upper minors um, experience. Yeah. But they're both guys that are excelling at AAA, and so I don't know if they could play now, you know? That's a, yeah. that's that you're going back into that potential risk aspect that we were just talking about. Like, oh, there's the potential. Yeah. They could be great. Or there's a potential that they could be more of the same, you know? Uh, it, it's... But that's the thing is like there's we've lost the devil magic a little bit. (laughs) Like, I don't know who put that hoodoo out there, but they need to do it again. (laughs) And and because we've lost that, like, man, we get this guy. Who the hell is this person? And they're hitting everything or they're striking everybody out. Like it's Tommy Edmund in 2019. It's it's been a it's been a weird couple of years where we haven't had that guy. That's just like, all right, here it is. Like no namer that is an all-star. I mean, it was, that was Matt Carpenter for years that like nobody outside of, they're like who, but he led the league and with 55 doubles one year and blah, blah, blah. I mean, we've been going for that forever. It's just I like, mean, obviously it's going to be Lars Nupar. I had so. the first name that popped in my house. Like, it feels like they're trying something I know. Like that I right want now. him to be because honestly he has the best yeah. name in all of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if Lars Nupar came up in 2012, he'd have, he'd have seven homers already. Yes. That's true. <laughs> he's, a, he's a few years late yes. for the devil magic. <laughs> Jeremy Hazelbaker took it all with him to Arizona. But like that, but that's the thing is like that is I mean weirdly to say that is the piece quote unquote that we're missing. We're missing that guy that reaches a little bit or steps above his role. You know, that's that's really interesting to me because I've been trying to figure out how to kind of tie in one thought to the other, not just in this conversation, but in general. Um, (laughs) When Harrison Bader made his major league debut, took everyone by surprise. Everyone went, whoa, this kid can really play. He can hit better than we thought he could. And all of a sudden after, what, half a season, the Cardinals made him the face of the organization. We've seen that a number of times in the last few years, and this isn't necessarily a knock on any one individual player, but the Cardinals have perhaps been so desperate for a new face of the organization that anyone that comes up and plays well for a minute (laughs) is automatically that guy, right? I'm wondering if some of these players, whether it was, you know, and I know we just talked about Paul DeYoung hit 30 home runs one year, but one year, right? So Mm. the very, very short window of that, are some of the guys yeah yeah, that's true and DeYoung's not really a great example but point being are some of these guys that the Cardinals have tried to make be core pieces really more of the maybe a better version of the Jeremy Hazelbaker thing but really the guys that come up and are really successful for a little bit but not necessarily the that don't necessarily have the longevity of a core piece of the organization is that where some of this sort of started to go wrong? Where instead of saying, cool, that helped us be successful for this year or for this two years, let's move on to the next thing. They tried to hold on too tightly because maybe they saw the gap in talent coming and they were like, oh, we don't we don't have any of this guy for the you know three or four years behind them. Should we try to squeeze a little bit more out of this talent and make it a little bit better and set the expectations a little bit higher instead of, 
allowing the Cardinals thing to happen. And every time you go to a new city, there's a new face and the opposing fans are like, wait, when did this kid get here? Honestly, it's a funny, that's a funny way to, I mean, honestly, interesting way to look at it. So we've done this however many years. I mean, Hazel Baker, Brandon Moss comes over in a trade is awesome for one year. Yeah. Um, like it just, we find a way to do this with players, but I think it kind of is a little bit of, to your point that, we had a couple year, I want to say maybe a year or two lull where we didn't have that guy. And then Bader comes out and you like, boom, like you said, face the franchise. But I wonder if they're almost in a little ways taking a step back from that right now, because you have a guy that I would say would be pretty marketable from a marketing standpoint in Carlson, but you have Goldschmidt and Arenado, and that's pretty much all like media wise they talk about. Um, and I wonder if that's a little bit of like, they realized, oh man, we're kind of like the second somebody comes up, putting a lot on these kids and right. he's just kind of like, I mean, not that he's blowing the world up by any means, but he's having a, what I would say is a pretty darn good rookie year, especially mm-hmm. for a 21 year old. And they're not like trying to make him yeah. the next Tatis. And a little bit of, I think the Cardinals organization has lost a little bit of identity of like this youth movement that is throughout baseball of like the Tatises and the Acunas. And obviously we don't have somebody that's come up with that level of talent but they also not try. They tried to make guys into that level of I don't want to, for lack of a better term, fame, Instagram fame, out of Bader and to some extent O'Neill and others, you know, and they just don't have the talent to hang in that same ballpark as like an Acuna or a Tatis. Yeah. Are those guys closer to? Jeremy Hazelbaker than they are to Acuna and Tatis. Not necessarily like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I think but that's, that's where I'm, where I'm trying to, you know, f- in my own head, make this connection between are they, is the expectation too high for those guys in terms of being core pieces instead of, as you said, Corey, role players that fill in and kind of maybe they're the, they're the, the glue guy for two years, but then they're not really a factor after that. And that's fine instead of trying to make them what makes this team successful, like Acuna or Tatis or Blagorero or whatever. I, I agree. I, they're, they're, they're more close to the role player. They are role players. Honest right. to God, that's what they are. Yeah. And, it, you know, this conversation, it kind of makes me think if it makes you question how cyclical things like this are and, and how yeah. and it, it, well, and it, the example I'm going to throw out is one is they're on top of the world right now. But like any number the Dodgers pull right now succeeds like they have. I'm like Gavin Lux would probably be the third best player. And there's no maybe about it. He would probably be the third, if not maybe the second best player on the Cardinals. And he doesn't see the field unless there's an injury. You know, they're, they're that loaded. And then they hit the 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 uh, kid hit the grand slam the other night in the Sunday night game who he who hit for Tulsa last year. You know, one of those every number they pull succeeds, and that used to be the Cardinals. Well, it's yeah. been a while since we've had that kind of luck. But then it but it goes it goes around the game because yeah. I mean the stretch of years that the Cubs it was like David Bodie who all of a sudden boom yeah it's, it's everything <laughs> great like, point great point and now yeah. Yeah, same thing with the Kansas City Royals bullpen in 2015. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, they had their big three, but I think I probably could have thrown 12 innings of shutout ball for them at some point but, that but year. But that's baseball. I mean, but that, that's why I've kind of gone yeah. back to, like, I do still think there is potential with the team that we have. No, don't get me wrong. I want them to make improvement. 
but the team that we have yeah. has sustainable run potential. If things fall the right way. And I, I, and I agree with that. And that's when, whenever uh, Ben had asked me to be on about the potential of selling, I was w- really hoping to see a situation where they could be that team they, this year that does a little bit of both, more of a, a of, of an igniter than to try to rebuild Well, Ben, what's the, the team, what's the team you just brought? Well, not the 15 Royals, but the 13 Royals. Yeah, so I was talking uh... – I was talking with Corey earlier this morning. I, I feel like the Cardinals, and, and statistically not so, but but the general feel of the team right now in 2013, the Royals. Uh, were, this was prior to them, you know, getting really good uh, for those couple of years. They finished 86 and 76, but uh, I, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna get this right, but they were sitting around 500 in July. It was right after the All Star break. And Dayton Moore, GM of the Royals, went on to a local radio station and made the proclamation basically just saying that this team could win 15 out of 20 at any moment. Um, Just really putting the weight of his position behind those players that he believed in them. And then they went on a run where they won 38 of their next 60 and really cemented I think with that group that they were that they were that that, that they were good that, that this young group coming up could just learn to play together they could do well and then 2014 they go to the World Series against Bumgarner's gauntlet and lose and then 2015 they go win it all and prior to that streak I just remember thinking man this offense just feels absolutely stale like something is just just off with this offense there's just nothing to it at all. They now that group had been pitching well. This group we have with the Cardinals, not so much. So it's not an exact comparison here, but the general feel of malaise when 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 you watch the games is there for me. That it feels like they're. I, I don't feel like this Cardinals team has given up on Schilt or given up on Albert or given up on Maddox. I feel like they're just stuck in this point where they're just like. Yeah, Tyler O'Neill is hitting the piss out of every ball he strikes, but nobody else can do anything right now. We have no idea how to stop it. And that's where I feel like those Royals were were at when Dayton Moore made those comments that he was behind them and that that basically I think I think it was along the lines of, yeah, their trade deadline's two weeks away, but we're not really doing anything type of thing. Um and then they just went out and did it. They they almost won 15 out of 20 in two different stretches in that 60 game span. And it was pretty incredible, but um, I don't know. I just cards kind of have that feel. So we talked about, and I don't know exactly what got me to that story. I know Corey said we were talking about that and, and then I just went on the rant there. But before that, talking about how we, we don't have that middle piece, right? We've got, we, we don't have, enough of that tier player right below an Arenado or or Goldschmidt or, or whatever to, to backfill. What about if we don't want to give up a guy like Edmund, because he kind of is that piece, right? He's that middle tier guy who is not going to light the world on fire for you, but hopefully he doesn't slump for too, too long and he can play lots of different places. He, I would place him in that tier. 
What about this deal? So I talked to Melissa Lockard, who's a writer and editor at The Athletic, about a deal with the Oakland Athletics. Um, now, this one uh, gives up Andrew Miller, who is – his contract is up at the end of the year anyway. Um, the part, the piece that hurts here is that it gives up Giovanni Gallegos. So this is one that makes you obviously worse for the right now because of that. Uh, the back end of this bullpen needs Gallegos, Cabrera, and Reyes to be what they are. Um, but in return is the offer we came up with was uh, Dalton Jeffries is a right-handed pitcher on their 40-man. He has uh, one appearance in the majors. He made a two-inning start. He was absolutely horrible in that two-inning start last year. Um, but he is at AAA right now. And he is a he is a command pitcher um, in the minor leagues. He has walked seventeen in one hundred thirty yes. innings. Uh, in college, he walked only forty six in two hundred twenty one and a third innings. Um, if you include, uh, he did he walked two in his two innings in the majors. He gave up five hits, five runs. It was a it was a miserable one start. Right. But this is a guy who is a starting pitcher. He in the minors this year, he has not averaged five an inning. He ever, he really hasn't pitched all that well in the minors, but he still has great command. Now he is pitching in Las Vegas. Las Vegas is it's a, a hitter's haven. Mm-hmm. Um, getting him out of <laughs> yeah, hitting nightmare. Uh, I actually know a former Dodgers farmhand who played in that old PCL West. And that's kind of when his career fell apart. He ended up uh, kind of losing it at AAA because he just mentally couldn't get over that hump of like, yeah, a four and a half ERA is really, really good, you know, and kind of lost it from there. He He's told me about that. And and so getting him out of that environment, uh, and he's only 30 and two-thirds innings into his time in that environment – um, getting him out of that environment might be a huge boost to him. Um, he's a guy who in the past has struck out a bunch. He's got 143 strikeouts and 130 innings at the major league level, but only 22 of those in 30 innings this year. That's one of three pieces um, that Melissa Lockard and I talked about trading for Giovanni Gallegos and Andrew Miller. Uh, second piece is Cody Thomas. He's another left-handed hitting outfielder. You can kind of see what I was going for with all this. Um, he is a former Dodgers draft yes. pick uh, in the 13th round. Um, he is in AAA right now. He just joined the Oakland from the Dodgers in either 2019 or 2020. I'm unsure which. Um, but he is absolutely crushing the ball right now as well. He's got a 280 average, 340 on base, 660 slugging for a 1,000 OPS. He's got 25 extra base hits in 38 games out in Las Vegas. Granted, it's a nightmarish pitching environment, but but 25 extra base hits in 38 games is still 25 extra base hits in 38 games, to, in my mind. Um, and then the third piece we settled on was Brady Feigl. Um, he's from Chesterfield, Missouri, which is why I knew his name. Um, went to the same high school as Max Scherzer. He is a right-handed pitcher who is lower in the minors. So he's a double-A guy this year for them. Um, he was at high A prior to the pandemic, and he's a big strikeout, but he's a command guy as well. He went to Mississippi State. Oh, no, sorry, University of Mississippi. Um, 
and he was a kind of a command guy there too. His senior year, he started striking out a bunch more people. Um, and so it'd be interesting to, I think an interesting deal giving you a pitcher that could give you some innings where he throws strikes at the major league level this year. A could give you a big left-handed bat off the bench that, that could, could potentially be that at least. And it could give you a starting pitcher in the minors for the future at a level where the Cardinals don't have a lot of that. And so maybe that donut hole of prospects could get filled, but obviously losing Gallegos for the next few years hurts really badly. So what are y'all thoughts on that trade? I'd straight up trade for Cody Thomas right now. (laughs) He, yes, he, he destroyed the Texas league. It was I mean, in nineteen. He he was he was one of Tulsa's best players, and I'd be like, "That's the only name you, that you had to tell me that." I'd have been like, "Ah, done." And I mean, I mean, I'm an Andrew Miller guy, just be, just mainly due to I mean, Francona will throw any arm. You know, that if if you trade for an or sign a guy that played for Francona, you you know you've got him on the down on the down slope of their career because they're going to throw a ton of innings. But all you had to do is tell me Cody Thomas, and I'd have been all over that. <laughs> well, I would love to just add to that, but uh, as I told you all before we started recording, uh, my ability to keep track of just the Cardinals this year has been limited by a variety of things. So uh, beyond the Cardinals, certainly not my my most informed yeah. season well, <laughs> of all time. So I'm just going to take your word for it and say, sure. <laughs> yeah, Thomas played at Oklahoma. He played at OU. He played at Oklahoma anyway. And uh, he was actually traded. I can't find the transaction history, but he was traded from to Oakland for another Oklahoma player who was actually a backup quarterback. You know, one of those situations. So that was a pretty big name around here. But that's, I mean, I didn't even need to know all of that, you know, to see that he can play. I mean, he was that, first of all, that those drillers teams were really good. And they still are just due to how much talent the Dodgers have. But yeah, he could play. He would be an immediate impact. Well, and that's the kind of thing in terms, that's the kind of thing in terms of this sort of trade, right? Where you look at it for this season, what is working for the Cardinals and go, ooh, with a Gallegos, I don't, I don't know how the one thing that has been okay continues to be okay, but that's what we're talking about, right? Is, yeah, that hurts, but if you get in return somebody who's kind of a fringe major league pitcher who can actually throw strikes and a bat that has proven value at the highest minor league level then that's the kind of move that ultimately does make sense even if it kind of takes away from the one piece of the puzzle that has been okay this year yeah you are losing some certainty of of a spot where you definitely need it and I love Gallegos but it's also one of those to where you really never know what a bullpen is year in year out right you know so that that would play a factor for me ever I don't like I don't trade a relief pitcher because especially if you can get something that has impact and res, and result because as as good as Gallegos has been and he's been phenomenal we still the next, we still he could be horrible here. next year you you just don't know mm. yeah I, I I think I agree on this one I think that okay. um, I thought we were offline to be honest with you no you're fine no okay. um I think I agree with this one here um I think that. As much as Giovanni Gallegos is as sure a thing as you've got in the relief 
world. I don't know, in the relief bubble. I don't know how to say that. But, yeah, I think you take that impact guy type potential guy right now. Uh, now, Cody Thomas is 26 this year. Um, yeah. He's a guy who's only a first-year AAA player at 26. Now, obviously, the pandemic, he probably would have been AAA at 25, um, which is a little more palatable there. Um, but with the tear he's on and what Allen said about him in the Texas League, um, him coming from the Dodgers, um, they know how to spot talent, and he's played even better since leaving the Dodgers now that he sees the light of opportunity, I'm sure. Um yeah, I think that's a trade. Yeah, especially because he, he's a guy you could bring. Um, you could potentially bring okay. him up. I mean, it's not like we're our outfielders are blowing the world off. You know, like if he, right. I mean, he'd he'd be the starting right fielder right now, right? Uh, Alan, do you remember defensively how he is? Uh, Fangraphs gives him decent grades on defense in the outfield. Uh, I'm guessing a corner outfield spot though. Yeah, that's I, that's where he was in Tulsa, and that, nothing stood out to, that he was bad. You know, one of those okay. situations. You have a big outfield in Tulsa as well in the gaps. Okay. Rock on. Well, I have one more trade that I want to talk about with you guys that I talked to um, Willie Hood. He is an IndiansBaseballInsider.com writer. Um, he and I talked about this deal that um, the Indians right now are, are – pretty bad in their outfield. They're 24th in uh, Fangraph's war in the outfield and they're bottom 10 in starting pitcher war right now on Fangraph's. And so we talked about a potential deal. Uh, Kwon Young Kim is at the end of his contract with the Cardinals at the end of the season and Harrison Bader. Um, so this would, I feel, be a giant shakeup in the Cardinals organization trading a guy who a couple years ago you were kind of um, putting in the public as a face of the franchise. Uh, and a player who is a lefty that you brought over from from um, from Korea, no Japan. Where was Kim? Korea, right? Um, brought over from Korea, and and these two are guys that I feel like the organization is really high on, and so I feel like it would be tough to get um, tough to get that value back that they see in these guys. But um, I went ahead and tried to do so anyway with Willie Hood. Um, he was willing to part with four players for for those two. Um, the first is a triple out triple A outfielder who has seen time at the major league level both last year and this year, but only twenty two plate appearances. Named Daniel Johnson. He is a left handed bat who has had absolutely zero success in those 22 <laughs> plate appearances at the major league level. Um, but he is 25 and at triple a, he's got a 224 on base 300 or 224 uh, average 302 on base 453 slugging. Um, not great there. Uh, in 2019, he was quite good though at double and triple a he combined for a 290, 360, 500 line. Basically um, he had, 34 doubles, 7 triples, 19 homers, and 12 steals in 123 games. Uh, even with his rougher line this year, he still has 20 extra base hits and 3 steals in 43 games. Um, so that's one piece. Um, the second piece is a AAA Major League right-handed pitcher, Jean Carlos Mejia, but he goes by J.C. Mejia. He's a right-handed arm. He has thrown 23 and two-thirds innings this year. He has actually started five games and 
pitched in eight. Um, he's got a 1.18 whip at the major league level. He's got a 3.14 strikeout to walk ratio, um, an ERA, not quite as good as league average, but a FIP better than league average. Um, at the AAA, sorry, he was not at the AAA level last year. Uh, AAA level earlier this year, he started two games through nine innings, was about the same as he's been in the majors. Um, in 2019, he was only at high A and pitched a little better than his numbers are at the majors this year as well. And he's only 24. Um, the third piece is uh, the the Indians. As I talked to Willie Hood, I found out that the Indians are basically stacked at the middle infield. Um, the one that he says he'd currently be willing to give up is a guy named Owen Miller, who has not really been used at all at the major league level as a shortstop, but he was listed as a shortstop in the minors and played there a lot in the minors. He's been pretty bad in 50 plate appearances, basically at the major league level this year at 24. Um, so he's a guy he thinks they would move on from despite having gaudy triple A numbers at triple A this year. He's hitting nearly three thirty, over a 400 on base, nearly a 500 slugging. So nearly a 300, 400, 500 guy at triple A. Um, in the short sample size of this season, he was a 300 hitter basically in his uh, over 300 hitter in his minor league career, 370 on base, 450 slug. Sorry, this is a whole lot. And then um, a double A pitcher who uh, who we could dream on named Nick Enright. Um, so he's not a guy who would be a guy who could be brought up right away. Just got moved to double-A, has one outing there. He's a big strikeout guy in the minors who seems to have control, but he's only a reliever. So he's a relief pitching arm low in the minors. So let's just do a quick recap there because that was a whole lot. Um, Harrison Bader and Kwon Young Kim to the Cleveland Indians for an outfielder who's crush, a left-handed outfielder who's crushing it at triple-A, a right-handed middle infielder who can also play first and third. So uh, think, think Jed Jerko defensively is my guess. Um, without knowing him, who was a very good on-base and average guy at the minor league level, a starting pitcher slash reliever who is 24 and can throw strikes, and a double-A arm that can throw strikes and strike people out, but he's only a reliever. What are we thinking about that big of a That's a big up? one. But, I mean, we've seen throughout the years, the Cardinals and the Indians do a lot of trades together. So anything that they would ever work out between the two of them wouldn't surprise me. Alan or Tara? Is that too big of a shakeup for either of you? Well, moving out for the rotation would be tough for me at this point, but you do, I mean, that you know, you're going to probably let Kim walk regardless. A lot of my skepticism, which I think that Bader probably gets you a pretty decent return, and this would work for me, but are they willing to move off of him after 20 games this year? You know, I, that I don't know, but that would be a shakeup that I think would be needed. Yeah, I think it's interesting in terms of the possible return for those two pieces. Uh, Kim has been good, but I don't know that he's been – world changing in terms of how he's looked this season. So, you know, I think the Cardinals have kind of patted themselves on the back a bit for going to those international markets, Japan, Korea, and bringing in a guy who looks phenomenal in one season and then realizes, oh, okay, but 
maybe the Cardinals don't know how to adjust, <laughs> but the rest of the league does. And so the numbers don't look quite as phenomenal in year two. So I don't know that, you know, if we're moving pieces in terms of getting back something that helps maybe this year, but more in terms of the future, I think that I could see those two guys as, uh, you know, names in the mix. Um, Again, I don't know a ton about the returns in terms of this season, but I will just say this is my one, one nugget that I don't envy anyone trying to figure out what to do with minor league numbers this year, because not having a season last year, guys trying to figure out where they fit and, and what they lost over the course of 2020 guys still coming into, you know, some of these new leagues or rearranged leagues or not having the same competition that they have had in the past. I mean, it's just a very weird situation in the minor league world right now for better or worse. And that's a different conversation entirely, but trying to figure out what to do with those numbers and what they mean for trade value is something I, I, I do not envy at this stage of the game. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And that I went to um, several of the uh, uh, Springfield Tulsa games this week. And, and the way that I, the way that I look at it is, or the way that I sum it up is minor league baseball, especially Springfield in this situation reminds me of that sophomore that's getting his first taste of high school basketball minutes, the <laughs> talents there, but the game speed is just too much at this point. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of, uh, it, it's crazy to see how, how minor league baseball is going to work this year. So I agree with you on that. I think maybe the guys that are really excelling Intrigued me the most. Players like, um, like we just talked about with getting back from the, from the, from the Indians potentially, like Daniel Johnson or Owen mm-hmm. Miller who at the AAA level. I don't know. I think of guys like, like a Rosarina came out of the pandemic and just ran with it. You know, um, guys like Adalis Garcia this year who came, I, I don't know if he really came out of the pandemic running with it because he got DFA'd in March. Yeah. <laughs> But, but those guys that, that seem to have somehow been able to better themselves while away. Um, and maybe, maybe those are the guys to go for right now. Um, that, but I mean, who knows? Maybe they're the guys who just had access, more access. Yeah. I think that's, that's the weird, that's the weirdness about it. Right. Is it? You know, we just talked about maybe the Cardinals go all in a little too soon on players who show a spark of ability. Well, now all of a sudden you've got an entire minor league world where, okay, maybe maybe a guy looks really good right now because he came out of the gate hot after not playing baseball for a year. Or maybe it's one of the guys that did get to play at an alternate site and at least kept themselves sharp while everyone else got a a little rusty (laughs) you know so it's just a weird it's a very weird dynamic to try to figure out what to even do with the the potential versus what you're seeing on paper and how to balance that with the very real decision making moments of okay is this worth more to my organization than what I already have whether it's for this season or beyond and it's I just man it it makes my head spin trying to uh, figure out how you make sense of the new minor league world. And 
you know, that goes that goes beyond, like I said, that goes beyond just not playing in 2020. It goes to the point of, you know, a lot of these organizations that suddenly have four less minor league teams uh, are realizing, oh, we don't we don't have as many players to pull from at this point to fill out these rosters. So that's an interesting dynamic. And that all factors in some somewhere, I'm sure. Maybe not for those top tier players in the minor leagues, because those guys are, are fairly established. But I have to think that there's some overlap of we don't really know what to think of this at this point with all those changes. I agree. And I mean, I guarantee there's guys that fall through the cracks a little bit here with the reshuffling of the minor leagues like that. Yes, there's ones that seem to be elevating it, but there's also ones that I'm sure that like. I mean, I don't know every stat of every guys in the minor leagues, but I'm sure there's guys that were feeling like they were coming on to something and then boom, pandemic. Well, they lost a year and then the restructuring and then they get lost in the shuffle. It's so hard to keep track of the minors right now. Alan, anything else you wanted to add? I know we're pushing that time limit that I told you guys I would try to keep us to. So any last kind of thoughts there before I wrap it up? No, I think that we've covered a lot of ground today. I, you know, this buy, the sell, and minor league baseball, that's, that's a lot, and that's been a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this I, – I never know when I start, you know, recording a podcast which way it's going to turn, and, and I think this one took a surprising turn for the better that we, we didn't just talk potential deals. We, we talked about how difficult it's going to be to, to go about making those deals, not as a way to let – John Mozalek and Michael Gersh off the hook, but as a way to just talk to fans and and help them see that these deals are are so so difficult to pull off um, and to even evaluate in general. And that's obviously not having as much knowledge as people within the game have um, with their scouting and, and statistical data and everything they get, but. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be an interesting few weeks here. Um, trade deadline. Uh, well, how about draft coming up in two weeks, and then trade deadline coming up in about four to five weeks. Um, it'll be interesting to see which way the Cardinals go. Hopefully, before then, with this two wins in the last three days and two more games against the Arizona Diamondbacks, hopefully the Cardinals start to find their mojo again, where ninety nine percent of everything going on is not. I'm not going ready wrong. to give up yet. Um, and that is. Uh, I don't think I am either. So uh, let, let's hope that the optimism from last night's late heroics uh, shine through and the Cardinals start to turn the corner. Um, thank you all again for joining me. It was a pleasure to have all three of you on. I can't wait uh, to have you back. I'm always happy to appreciate talk it. baseball. Yep. Thanks, Ben. All right. Well, I'm going to leave it with go Cardinals. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>